This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, March the 8th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Elizabeth Moeller continues the discussion on the importance of creating guidelines when it comes to building homes and accessibility standards. Of course, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation released some guidelines two weeks ago about how to incorporate more units. Scratching at that last week, we ran out of time, so we're picking it up again this week. Continuity, connective tissue, that's what Now with Dave Brown's all about. And Emily Shavers tells you all about her disability-focused organization, True Faces. But the hour begins with the regional news update. British Columbia is dedicating $200 million towards boosting both the province's food bank system and overall agricultural production. Premier David Eby described some of the root causes of food insecurity. Now global inflation is making everything more expensive, including, and in particular, uh, food at the grocery store. We've seen droughts in California threatening food that we import to feed British Columbians. So in 2023, the security of our food has never been uh, uh, more top of mind. EB also pointed out how flooding in the province has impacted the agriculture industry. Over to the prairies, the Manitoba government is promising new spending and major tax cuts in its budget. The budget boosts spending on health care, social services, and other areas by an average of close to 10%. The budget also contains income tax, income tax cuts. Finance Minister Cliff Cullen explains why the tax cuts were a priority. I think it's important that we give uh, Manitobans uh, tax breaks. Uh, Clearly, we want to be competitive with other jurisdictions. That's what we've been told uh, by all Manitobans. Minister Cullen lays out a timeline for some of the policies to take effect. If we get this budget passed by June 1st, we we can have Manitobans uh, reaping the rewards of tax cuts July 1st. Over to Ontario, police northwest of Toronto are investigating online threats directed at six schools. Karen Rebo has the story. Peel Regional Police say the threats indicate someone intends to attend the six high schools on Friday and shoot them up. Investigators were made aware of the threats against the schools in Brampton and Mississauga on March 2nd. Police say they, along with the school boards, take the threats seriously and have been working on safety plans. Investigators are also working to identify those responsible. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And finally, in the Atlantic provinces, more than 1,000 people from Canada's Acadian community have signed a petition to rename the University of Moncton. They want to shed the school's link to Robert Moncton, a British military figure who played a role in the imprisonment and deportation of thousands of Acadians in the 1700s. Between 1755 and 1763, approximately 10,000 Acadians were expelled from their land by the British. That's your look at the regional news. The Bank of Canada is making their interest rate announcement right now, and they are holding steady at 4.25% as the interest rate, 4.25% as the interest rate, the Bank of Canada having that information coming across the wire right now. Big thank you to Anastasia and Bruce in the control room for feeding that one into my ear while I was otherwise reading. Teamwork through and through. Speaking of teamwork, let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. So, Brock Richardson, your mind and eyes are big time into the world of curling right now. The briar slides on, and I promise you I'm going to give you a little room to talk about the briar before the week is out. But you also wanted to point out something going on in the world of parasports. The wheelchair curling world championships are also taking place. Yes, they are. And there are two Team Canadas uh, representing. One is in the uh, four-team regime, and the other one is in the mixed doubles. And both teams are off to a good start. Uh, The the foursome is 5-1, and and the mixed doubles team is uh, 4-0 at the 
moment, and that's happening in Calgary. And uh, yeah, if you go to the World Curling Federation website, uh, you can see some of the select games, and they have their YouTube channel, which you can catch as well. And Dave, I have, I, I mean, I have a lot of respect for a lot of para sports, but curling is one of the ones that I have a bit more for and that's because there are no sweepers and so when you curl you are just purely doing this on accuracy and you know weights only you know when you watch the briar and the scotties in the world championships in conventional curling you see a lot of the sweepers and the thrower relies heavily on the sweepers at times to get the rock there Mm -hmm. and in in wheelchair curling that is not the thing and so they are fully reliant on their own weights and their own accuracies and i gotta tell you uh watching wheelchair curling and it's about 180 feet uh, from one end to the other and just to be so accurate on double takeouts and run backs and you know across the house it's it's incredible the accuracy they can be with no sweepers and so far down the down the ice from one end to the other. Brock, forgive me if this question is indelicate that I give you full authority to yell at me and call me insensitive for asking this, but you played bocha, which is, again, an accuracy sport. Did you ever consider jumping into the world of wheelchair curling? I have considered it. Um, I saw one of my uh, teammates do this recently, and I the reason I haven't jumped into it is because I did not think you could have your power chair onto the ice surface when you did it. I watched her try it uh, last weekend, and she could have her power chair on, so this might be something that I might delve into to see how I can do. We'll see how things might go. But yeah, curling is, as you know, has become one of my loves over the last 10 years, and I, I'd love to give it a try. I was uh, at the bar last night uh, hanging out with some friends, and the briar popped onto uh, the TV. Again, later in the week, we can dive deep a little bit going into the championships this weekend, but what's your big takeaway from the briar right now? Uh, the big takeaway is that the teams that you would expect to be where they are are where they are. So I'm talking about Brad Gushu. Matt, uh, Matt Dunstone, uh, Brendan Botcher, they're all where they should be. And that's kind of what, why I haven't really delved into too deeply into the Briar uh, yet because we are seeing the teams that we think should be at the top of the Briar are there. And so right now it's sort of status quo. And uh, Kevin Cooey is also at the top of that mm-hmm. leaderboard on one of the sides. And, and again, those are the names that you expect. So as we go in and as the championship weekend goes through, we'll, we'll talk about it. And even on Monday, I'll give you kind of a, uh, you know, a rundown of what took place with, with the big four that kind of went through on the playoffs. Right so we'll on. See, we'll see how things go. But everything's happening status quo at the moment. <laughs> the status quo, the chalk, the chalk is winning right now as, as things go <laughs> in the world of sports. Uh, Brock, speaking of the chalk, Connor McDavid putting so many notches on the board this year. He's having a career year. He has set his single season record for points in a season. Brock, Connor McDavid, we know he's the best hockey player in the world, but it looks like it's at a whole new level right now. It is, and that's not even where the statistics stop. He has scored more points than 77% of the league. Like combined, the like, like, like 77% of the league combined. Correct, correct. That this is That's where we're going. And, and it made me think last night, and I understand what I'm about to ask is a little bit you know, controversial, and those people in Edmonton may curse me, and I'm okay, I got big shoulders, but I do have to ask you, Dave, at what point do we have to discuss Connor McDavid being a wasted commodity in Edmonton? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Brock, <laughs> you weren't joking. You're not, you're, you're going for it here in the middle of his career year. 127 points. The dude's going to have 150 points by the end of the year. He's going to win the Art Ross. He's going to win the Walk- Rocket Richard. He's going to win the MVP. And here's Brock Richardson chasing him out of Edmonton. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Brock, um, it, I don't know about calling him a wasted commodity, but I'll do this. There's only a couple of years left on that contract before Connor McDavid's an unrestricted free agent. So maybe it's not so much a question of a wasted commodity, but it's how much mediocrity does Edmonton continue to toil in before Connor McDavid says, listen, guys, I'm kind of thinking I'd like to go somewhere else. Yeah, and I think, I, I okay, maybe wasted commodity was a bit 
aggressive. No, I like it. I but like I, it. It's a very hot takey. I enjoy it. But but I'm using it in the sense of like, what has Edmonton shown as an organization to say, yeah, we need to keep him. Like this guy is pulling stat after stat after stat and he's got all the trophies in his trophy case. What does Edmonton have? Not much to show for it. And I honestly believe that Edmonton is under extreme pressure this year to see what happens. Like, at some point, we're going to have to have a discussion of what does your core look like? What's going on? Because right now, we haven't seen what I would have hoped to see and what I'm sure Connor McDavid would have hoped to see in Edmonton by now. And he goes to another team in a couple of years, if that is the choice, and he makes that team immediately better. And yeah, it's just, it's something that has come to mind. And I know we got a playoffs to go through. I get all that. But it's just starting to feel like it's a bit of a wasted commodity. Okay, Brock, here we go. You want to you play the mind-blowing game? You want to mess with a bunch of fan bases here? Let's go into fantasy land of reckless speculation. Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs decides to leave the Toronto Maple Leafs after the end of his contract next season. Bye-bye. You see, now I've made Leafs fans mad at me. What about this? To replace him, Connor McDavid does his own come homecoming and comes back to the GTA where he grew up. So the Leafs lose Austin Matthews, but gain Connor McDavid. How many people have I made mad at me, Brock? Oh, you've made the Leaf fans probably really happy with that idea. <laughs> uh, but it's like, okay, okay, I got to take off my rose-colored glasses here because this is good. But uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, you saw it with John Tavares doing the homecoming and and you know wanting to do it. I don't know that Connor. I don't know that Connor would want to come to Toronto. I, I I hear the whole, you know, homecoming. I but the East is such a such a dog fight right now, and I just yeah, I, I don't know. I laid the trap, and you stepped right into it, Brock. I knew I, I, I knew I could tempt you with that one. Uh, speaking <laughs> of Toronto-centric sports analysis, the Toronto Blue Jays continue spring training. Brock, on an episode of the Neutral Zone yesterday, you dove deep into the Blue Jays season, uh, springing on a special guest with an inside look at the team. What were your big takeaways from the segment that you did on the Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, Ari Shapiro was very honest and said that this team is taking a serious tone and the serious tone began with the Don Mattingly, the hiring, which we talked about. And then recently they, the Toronto Blue Jays and the organization decided to get rid of the home run jacket. Both of these decisions I agree with. I think they are the better decision for the organization. The problem I'm having is that when they win and when they do well this year, it's all going to look wonderful. When they don't, this is where we're going to have trouble because it's going to be, well, where's the fun? The the life has been sucked out of this team. When they go on a 10-game losing skid or a, or a losing, you know, 7 out of 12 or what, whatever the, the losing streak will be because newsflash, no team is going 162-0 and 0 as much as we would love it <laughs> to see it, but it's just not happening. Um, and, and this has me a bit nervous in the sense of I, I'm a bit worried that if things – go off the rails in parts of the season, how easy is it going to be to get it back on when we are not having as much fun? Mm. The, the pressure is on this team. There are expectations. They've had their run towards the playoffs two years ago. They made it to the wildcard series last week, last year, and here they are this year with aspirations for the American League Championship Series, maybe even an appearance in the World Series as well. So I understand when expectations are high, sometimes you have to be a little bit more business-like. But Brock, baseball's going to feel weird this year. I don't know how much of the spring training games you've been taking in, but the pitch clock has absolutely sped up the games. It's taking about 20 minutes less per game right now to be played as pitches are moving much faster. The other thing that's been observed this year is that uh, in spring training stolen bases have doubled because of the new rules in regards to the pitch clock as well as the number of times a pitcher can throw over to hold a runner at first base so with these changes in mind with a faster paced game and speed being more at the core of it 
I don't know if this Toronto team is necessarily built for this newer version of baseball. I, I know that I'm very much entering the realm of speculation in this conversation, Brock, mm-hmm. but it feels like this team was a real bunch of boppers last year, a lot of power on this roster, and it seems like baseball's looking a little bit more as in it, putting the ball in play and playing with speed this year, and I'm, I'm not sure if Toronto is built for that as an organization, and especially if and- we're sort of taking the fun out of this, I, I I wonder if I wonder if that more serious tone is going to intersect with different strategic styles of playing baseball this year. And what was their biggest weakness last year? Their biggest weakness was in the field, making errors, making you know not getting runners out on the base pass. You know, all those were their biggest weaknesses. And this year, even and I add to your list, and I say, yeah, I remember too, the bases are bigger, and so players are going to think, well, it's not as far technically to go and I can reach my hand out in the corner. It comes to me a little quicker of the ba- of the bases. So all that's going to be part of it too. But again, I am worried about the Toronto Blue Jays in the field in that a lot of people aren't. That infield still looks very similar to what we saw last year. And what we saw last year was a whole bunch of errors. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 they led the league in, in you know, um, not having runs prevented and it's like yeah i just don't see a lot of difference do i think they'll work it out yeah but it might take you know 30 40 50 games to do that and by the time you get through that you may be too far down the rabbit hole where you can't get out again yeah it, it's interesting although we're still a couple of weeks away here from the uh, baseball season getting going uh, in earnest but the uh, world baseball classic kicked off last night and i assure you i was in bed by 11 p.m didn't watch that first game but uh, we'll get there by the weekend we'll get there by the weekend mm-hmm. hey brock yeah. have a great day we will talk to you tomorrow indeed you will that is brock richardson he is the host of the neutral zone alex Smythe is the co-host of this show and at the ami weather desk Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's mainly cloudy today with a chance of snow. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, but the high is 2 degrees today. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's snow this morning with the risk of uh, more coming in the afternoon. There is also a chance of freezing rain this morning. The wind gusts there are up to 60 kilometers per hour and the high is 1 degree. In St. John, New Brunswick, it is cloudy with a chance of snow or rain today. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour as well and a high of 2 degrees. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's cloudy with a chance of snow or rain this morning and the high is 5 degrees today. In Toronto, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds. The high is 3 degrees but it's feeling quite cool with a wind chill at minus 9 for Toronto. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's sunny, a high of 2. But that wind chill makes it quite cold at minus 17. In Brandon, Manitoba, where it's cloudy with a chance of snow this morning, then it's going to be a mix of sun and clouds. The high is minus 8, but again, that wind chill makes that minus 8 feel more like minus 27. To Regina, Saskatchewan, where it's a mix of sun and clouds, with becoming cloudier as the day goes on. There's also a chance of snow in the late morning and afternoon. The high is minus 11 but feeling like minus 29. To Lethbridge, Alberta, where there's light snow falling today with up to two centimeters expected. The high is minus nine, feeling like minus 20 with that wind chill. Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mainly cloudy day with a chance of snow. The high is minus 11, feeling like minus 24. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's mainly sunny, but quite cold. The high is minus 13, Feeling like minus 34 with that wind chill, and there is a risk of frostbite due to the cold temperatures. To Kelowna, BC, where it's sunny, turning to a mix of sun and clouds with possible rain in the afternoon. The high is 6 degrees, and that wind chill makes it feel like minus 6 today. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds today, and a high of 9 degrees. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Emily Shavers tells you about the disability-focused organization that she co-founded called True Faces. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The digital world has presented an opportunity for people with disabilities to connect. It's also created a platform to share bigger messages. Emily Shavers is the co-founder of True Faces. Good morning, Emily. Thanks for making the time today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Emily, what's the inspiration behind True Faces? So my sister and I both have disabilities and we grew up in a really rural area of Ontario and honestly only knew each other uh, as people with disabilities. And when we had the opportunity to kind of extend that reach and take part in programs that were with other people with disabilities, we realized that we were missing out on a lot of that connection piece and the way that we were able to meet these people and understand their struggles and finally we had people to relate to it really resonated with us and we realized that there was probably also other people out there who were feeling the same way and so we wanted to create this online platform where anybody could come in and connect with people who are facing similar challenges and understanding that struggle of disability um, and just have a place where they can feel heard and represented. And so we created True Faces for that exact purpose. So there's a lot of advocacy that can be done here, a lot of things that can be talked about within the platform, but what are some of the areas of focus for True Faces? Our three biggest focus focuses are our three pillars being community, education, and advocacy. So our biggest one is community. Uh, throughout social media, we are sharing hundreds of stories of people with disabilities all across our page and allowing them to have a place to share their story and going to community events, uh, doing public speaking to really get our message out there. Um, and then as long with that comes the education and advocacy piece where we're running booths and public speaking about what it means to have a disability and breaking down those different stereotypes and misconceptions that come along with it. And sharing that through our lived experiences really allows the message to be bigger and broader and, and people can connect to it more. And I really appreciate that. And so really relating both creating awareness and allowing people to be educated on a topic through you know, lived experience and mm. bringing in people from different walks of life to be able to share their story um, and just bringing it around full circle is really what we're all about. Yeah, there's a really interesting interesting cross-section between what you're doing with True Faces and what we do here at AMI. It's that we're trying to put a lot of these disability-focused stories in one place because the internet and social media can be a really uh, wacky, wild forest of trying to find what you're looking for. So one of the things I really admire about the stories that you're telling on True Faces is that it's kind of under one roof, under one banner, and there's so many perspectives that are being shared. How are you finding it in terms of the, the message being received? How, how are you and your sister and the people you're collaborating with finding the experience of sharing these experiences online? Well, we originally thought it was just going to be a simple little Instagram page where we could kind of talk about our day-to-day -day struggles. And now we've been featuring over 200 people from all around the world who really wanted to put their message out there and have a voice. And so it's been incredibly well-perceived by so many people to just want to share their message, want to share their story, because we understand the value of different lived experiences and that no one experience or perspective is universal. And so bringing in that many multitude of voices uh, to have represented, you know, people, people came for it, people wanted it, and that's why we've been able to grow so much. How have partnerships played into your strategy? Since most of our stuff is community-based, it's obviously really important for us to have those partnerships within um, the community. We've partnered a lot with the various disability organizations across Canada um, and have been able to tap into them to both gain their insight on what we're doing, share our message, and have different um, supports. One of our uh, favorite is uh, the Canadian Council of the Blind, specifically the Peterborough chapter, which is where Hannah and I are from, has given us so much support in being able to share our message and partner with them. And that's really the reason that our programs are able to be successful and having backing from them is truly critical. <laughs> True Faces has an ambassador program. Applications are now open for potential ambassadors. How would you describe the role? 
So we're really looking for like-minded disability advocates who are passionate about sharing their story and the stories of other people and who are looking for a place to elevate and amplify their voice. Um, these people are essential members of our team because we're entirely volunteer run um, and any profits or donations that come in go right back into our messaging and our projects. So they're a super important member of our team who helps us put together content, finding stories, blog posts, newsletters. They really help us be able to function. Um, and we're, we're so thankful for them. And we started this program uh, three years ago now. I say it's one of my 1 a.m. thoughts. Uh, and it's been one of the greatest things that has happened to us. How can somebody apply? Because it seems like that ambassador role is a vital one. And it's one that would give a lot of people a lot of opportunities to share their story share their message and again connect to the great work that you and your co-founders and your and your and your partners are doing here how can somebody apply it's definitely a great role for anybody who's just getting started in their advocacy journey or who's well on their way uh, and just simply wants to connect with more people. Uh, our applications are currently live. Uh, you can access them through our website or any of our social media links. Uh, currently, there is a Google form to be filled out along with a reference being emailed to us. Um, so if you head on over to our website, www.truefaces, that's T-R-U-F-A-C-E-S dot C-A, you can find all of the information under our ambassador program tab. One last thing before we say goodbye, Emily, and we'll make sure to share that website on the blog after the show as well, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. One thing that jumped off uh, the page for me as I was looking through the website yesterday, you've actually got some pretty sweet merchandise up on the website, some sweet merch. What do you guys have on offer? Yeah, so our advocacy apparel, as I like to call it, is sweaters, t-shirts, hats, and lanyards at the moment, uh, which were really created to emphasize our message of disability advocacy and starting conversations around the experiences of people with disabilities and widening that message. So, I mean, our purple shirts are currently 50% off on clearance, so go snag one of those and rock your super soft uh, True Faces clothing. Right on. Emily, Thank you for this. Uh, really looking forward to the ongoing conversation you and I are going to be having over the course of the next couple of months. So thank you for making time today, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for having me. That's Emily Shavers, the co-founder of True Faces. True Faces, true spelt T-R-U, T-R-U, True Faces. That's where you can find out more information about the Ambassador Program, partnerships, and also find them on social media. Coming up next... Elizabeth Bowler and I continue the conversation about the guidelines created by the Canada Housing and Mortgage Corporation incorporating universal design and accessibility standards into multi-unit residential housing. I know that sounds like a mouthful, but we'll unpack it after the break on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI, picking up on a conversation from last week. The Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation has introduced guidelines to incorporate accessible standards into multi-unit residential homes. Elizabeth Moeller and I jumped into this conversation last week. We kind of raced through it, barely scratched the surface and said, you know what, we need to revisit. We didn't give it total justice. So let's bring Elizabeth Moeller back in to uh, talk about the importance of accessible housing and universal design. Hey, good morning once again, Elizabeth. Good morning. Happy International Women's Day, Dave. Happy International Women's Day. So Melena Kazanavishis did the exact same thing to me, Elizabeth. So I'm going to do the exact same thing to you. Before we jump into this conversation, the daily poll question for folks to find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, is who is a woman that's had a positive impact on your life? No options on this one, Elizabeth. We want open-ended answers. So Elizabeth, who's a woman who's had a positive impact on your life? Wow, that's a really tough question. I think I would have to say it's it's a toss up, 
uh, somebody not living, obviously the work of Helen Keller is pretty stellar. Mm. Um, when I think about a living woman, I would have to say Sarah Ahmed, who's an academic that writes about the discrimination and the oppression that folks who come from marginalized backgrounds experience in the post-secondary and education space. Elizabeth, I knew I could count on you for a great answer there. So thank you for that. Thank you for that detour with me. So Elizabeth, last week as we talked about these uh, guidelines put together by CMHC, we barely got out of common spaces and out of green spaces outside the building. We barely even got inside the building before we could talk about these things. And of course, when we're talking about multi-units uh, residential buildings, we're talking about condos, apartments, row houses, things that are becoming more and more common in the, in the space. So Elizabeth, when you think about some of these guidelines and you think about inside the building, what are some of the things that jumped off the page to you? Yeah, so one of the things, and I touched on this last week, but it bears repeating, I I think one of the big things here is that there was a lot of guidelines for folks who have physical disabilities or um, limitations that preclude folks from doing stairs but there wasn't as much as I would like to see for vision and hearing. Mm. So what I mean by that is there was nothing that talked about braille or tactile for the oven or the, the stovetop. In fact, the flat stovetop that's mentioned for the kitchen is really challenging from an accessibility perspective for folks with certain types of visual disabilities. Mm -hmm. The other piece that I, I was really struck by was hearing again like what about fire alarms is there an opportunity to have lighting strobe lighting for fire alarms or um you know what about smoke detectors carbon monoxide uh, detectors so i well i think that these are a really great first step and i loved a lot of what i saw i am concerned about groups that might be left behind yeah, uh, there, there was these little components here where you where you did see within the universal design, perhaps there were folks that were not being considered through and through. I even started thinking about, I, I, I kept coming back to the idea of space for me here, Elizabeth, that a lot of the suggestions that are made here just seem to require a lot more square footage, whether that be uh, turning radiuses in the bathroom, wider hallways, whether they be in common spaces or wider spaces even within a unit. It just seems like that's not the trend going on right now. But what I also noticed in a lot of the suggestions is it struck me as a real lack of storage for people. And, and, and I know that it seems kind of silly and maybe we need to move towards a more minimalist society. But as I looked at especially some of the kitchen designs that were being presented with a lot of hollowed out uh, counter spaces, I was like, my gosh, where would you store things in this scenario? Yeah, like even the, the counter where you would roll under. Where do you then store your pots, your pans, your plates? Because it, it and there was even with the um, in the the living room or dining room area, they talked about like a you know this big table that you could you could roll under. So again, you're losing a lot of storage. So where is the balance there for sure? Yeah, I I, I just I, I I think about these things a lot in terms of practicality, Elizabeth, because I, you and I are both are both big uh, uh, advocates for more accessible housing, more affordable housing, universal design in the cities that we live in. It, it all makes sense to me, but then there has to be a practicality to this. There has to be an understanding. And especially when we're talking about something that might look a little bit more like a row house or a townhouse that by its nature is going to be quite narrow, where it, it just strikes me that we need to be double, triple, quadruple mindful of thinking about functionality in the living space beyond just inclusivity in the living space. Yeah, and I was thinking about that too, like even when they were talking about the green spaces outside, that's all well and good, but where are we gonna put those? Like we're, we're becoming a denser and denser city here in Toronto. And so I think about, okay, so you wanna have all this green space outside, that's lovely, but is it gonna go up? Like, are we thinking, you know, vertically, where where is this green space? And if, if we are gonna put green space there, it has to have more than one purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth, one of the things that we just scraped at a little bit last week but didn't really dig into was the way in which this might actually be executed, what we might be able to do to encourage more developers to adopt these guidelines, or maybe even more ideally, bring these into building code standards. That would be <laughs> really lovely. But but I've started thinking about this from a practical level, the, the Dave Brown consulting level. And I think about a condo building that I used to live in in Ottawa where a lot of the ground floor units had a lot of universal design built in. And then as you got more and more vertical, 
perhaps things got a little bit less accessible and a little bit less universally designed. But I started thinking about that in the context of townhouses and row houses and more stacked living about perhaps creating a scenario where there's a lot of un- a lot of universal design built into the bottom levels. And mm-hmm. then at the top levels where we know for a fact there's not going to be a wheelchair, uh, there's not going to be an elevator for people using mobility devices in say a two or three, four uh, uh, floor building, that perhaps that's a scenario where we incorporate tons of this universal design at the ground floor level. We encourage developers to do that and then maybe get a little more willy-nilly with the top two or three floors. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think the reality is not everybody's going to need or frankly want a flat wheelchair accessible suite. So we absolutely, we need to have those options. We talked about this last week, especially as folks are aging and even, you know, moms with young kids. And and that's the kind of one of the big common things that is talked about with, with universal design is it benefits, you know, not just people with disabilities, but everybody. But there are folks who actually may want um, some of the more traditional features in the home because they like how that looks, whether it be stairs or whether it be the, the ovens that are not flat top stoves or, you know, whether it be less space. Like some people actually like the really tiny look, the Mm -hmm. tiny look and feel, Mm -hmm. Uh, the Marie Kondo types, I suppose you could say. But, you know, the other thing that really came to mind for me, and I I loved when they talked about this, was this sort of spa-like bathroom. Because one thing I wanted to pick up on from last week is I think there's a conception that if it's made accessible or universally designed to be accessible, that it's not going to look as good. And so they they take great care to talk about, here are some things you can do in the, in the bathroom space that actually make it look really cool and accessible. Mm. Yeah, the, one of the ideas they had, I, I forget what they referred to it exactly, but it's essentially creating a situation where there's no, where, where basically the entire bathroom becomes a shower, right? Like maybe yes. there's a couple spaces around the toilet or the sink that won't be hit by the shower head, head but the rest of the bathroom is created in a yes. way that you can just sort of plop yourself in, get hit with a rainfall shower, it all drains out in the middle of the room, and then you walk yeah. out. Yeah, and that's very common, they were saying, in Europe. So it's interesting to me to kind of start thinking about not just the accessibility, but they they took great care, great care to talk about aesthetics. And I think that's really important because I said, I think there's a stigma. If we make it accessible, it's not going to look pretty, quote yeah. unquote. Uh, Elizabeth, I, I want to pick up on this, this notion that you picked up on in terms of perhaps the oven choice that was suggested wouldn't be the best for a person from the blind community or low vision community. Um, I... One of the things that they do right off the top of these guidelines, these CMHC guidelines, is to say you should make these units adaptable or customizable. The word that I would use is modular. So again, I think of this from a design and inclusion perspective to say, okay, if we're going to put in a particular kind of oven, it should be really easy to remove that oven and add something in that would be more preferable to somebody else's space, a customizability in terms of the size. And that going back to our cabinetry conversation Mm -hmm. or storage conversation, is what you're putting in place as a framework something that Elizabeth or Dave, the hoarder, could uh, utilize to then have like something a little more modular to say, okay, I don't need the full roll under counter. What I'd like is a whole mess of drawers. Yeah. So is there kind of like almost like a bureau kind of thing that you could put? Like slide you could take right something in. Out? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like s- removable, slideable, portable, I don't know how many other ables, like (laughs) storage units, right? Like, so that if you wanted to have, if you didn't actually need to roll under the counter because that wasn't something you needed, you could pop in these rollable, portable, slideable cupboards that could then act as just traditional cupboards and they would look just normal, like normal cupboards. Yeah, the the, the flat tab stops top stove, I had one for a number of years and it's very difficult to ascertain where the burner is. And frankly, you know, because of that, you were having to feel, okay, is this hot? Is this where I put the pot? And that's that's quite dangerous. Not so a great would, solution. Not, not a great, a great way to navigate through life. They don't teach you that in O&M training. No, they don't. So, you know, that this is where I think really we need to think about if you're going to have that flat top stove separate from the oven. And I'm not I'm not really wild on that either. I think for convenience, it's nice to have them both in the same device or the same place. But if you're going to do that, you got to really think about how are you going to make that accessible. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, to wrap up this conversation, and again, I'm so grateful that we had a chance to revisit this because we didn't get all the way into it last week. I think we week. should start our own consulting business, uh, oh. calling it rollable, slideable, portable storage. <laughs> Just, how what about, do you think, Dave? How about, able, how about able consulting with Dave and Elizabeth? 
I love it. Okay, yeah. I'll all get right. on the business plan. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, because you're not busy at all as it stands. No, uh, not uh, at all. Thanks. Elizabeth, I just want to make sure here that I'm being that I'm being gracious in this though, because you pitched this huge topic and we didn't quite get to all of it last week. We got back to it this week. Is there anything else we've missed in this conversation that you wanted to highlight before we say goodbye? Yes, I would say, you know, the big question, this is all well and good, but the big question is, well, what do we do about all of these buildings that are not accessible currently? And I think there's two answers. I think, you know, when you're planning for your major renovations, obviously you build accessibility in, but also you just, you're transparent on your website about what is accessible and what's not accessible, and you offer alternatives and accommodations. So here are the spaces in our building that are fully accessible. Here are the spaces that aren't. If you need to come in, we're happy to meet with you in an accessible space. We're happy to meet with you virtually. So I think, you know, the, the big question is always, cost, cost, cost. And I think that's a really tricky one too, because if we're looking long-term, our population is aging into disability. So the cost factor to me is sort of one of those, um, it maybe costs more now, but it's going to actually end up costing you later if you're not accessible. But just thinking about how do we, how do we, um, where, where buildings are not accessible now, what do we do? What are the workarounds? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot. I mentioned last week in our conversation that my current apartment that I live in, if you used any kind of mobility device, it would be a disaster. You wouldn't even be able to get into the bathrooms. And I think, wow. like, how on earth was this building that was built in 2009? Yeah, mine too. Like, yeah. so inaccessible. Well, mine was built in the 70s, so they have a little bit more of an excuse. <laughs> yes, 1970s, I'll give you a little bit of a pass. In 2009... <laughs> Get out of here, guys. Come on. You should have known better. The AODA was already on the books by that point. But, you know, why would we put housing standards uh, in the AODA? I mean, why, that wouldn't make it useful legislation at all. Not at all. No, why would we do that? Why, why would we put in that in our disability legislation? Who needs it? Uh, Elizabeth, I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you for sharing some thoughts on this today. And Thank I believe you, we're talking to you again next week for your community reports. You are stuck with me for a third week in a row, Dave. All right. But until then, have a wonderful International Women's Day. And I want to hear from you on the air about what women or women have inspired you. So oh. I'm looking forward to staying tuned. Oh, okay. Let, let me give you the Coles notes because I, I shouted out about 18 different women in the first hour of the show um, but, okay. I, but I really want to give a special shout out once again to a lot of my family members who were, teach were teachers. In the generations before me uh, most of my aunts and grandparents were in the education system and they helped and helped frame and shape the minds of so many young people across Montreal over the course of that Beautiful. era. And then also instilled that, that mindfulness and importance of education to me, both in my own pursuits, but also what I advocate for in regards to inclusive education and more educational opportunities for people from marginalized backgrounds. Um, and I know education is something that means a lot to you. And that Absolutely. was something that was driven into me by the women in my life. That's incredible, Dave. Thank you so much for sharing. I was happy to, and this time I won't forget to shout out my mom as well. Hi, mom. Love you. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> That's Elizabeth Moeller. She'll be back next week for a community report in Toronto. Coming up after the break, you'll find out what's coming up on Kelly and Rumia this afternoon. And then Alex Smythe has a great question about businesses that are still in business that surprise you. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Looking ahead to this afternoon, Kelly and Ramya hit the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. Ramya Amuthan is the co-host of that show and joins us now for a preview. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Morning, Dave. So, Ramya, what's coming up on the show today? Yeah, so I believe that you and Greg had this conversation last week and we're spinning back into it again because... Basically, we all have uh, maybe more than one or two streaming services now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, 
<laughs> become quite expensive. And then there's the kerfuffle with uh, Netflix and everything else going on there. So the question is, are Canadians done with streaming services? And we're going to talk whoa, through that. Whoa, aggressive. Know, That's an aggressive know, framing of that question. We're going to start there and see where it goes. <laughs> uh, also, we have our health chat with Leslie DePoe, our registered nurse. And we're talking about poison here today. Oh. Uh, it's interesting. It's dangerous. But it's exceptionally common, especially in our households. So we're going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and we have our employment segment with Kevin Shaw, and he's talking about uh, marketing our entrepreneurial businesses. And it's a little more than advertising. So I know when I say that word, you might want to hop into a jingle, Dave. So no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll no? spare you. Okay. I'll, I'll spare you all my all singing right. today. Don't, don't you worry. I, I love it when you guys chat with Kevin Shaw. Of course, he's a regular on our show as well. So I love mm-hmm. catching up with Kevin. Okay, Ramya, stay right there because let's bring in Alex Smythe here. Uh, you're talking about the way that Kevin Shaw is talking about marketing your business, marketing your brand. Well, Alex, you've been thinking about businesses today and how they've survived through a difficult couple of years. Uh, yeah, and uh, this is also going to tie into uh, Ramya's point on on streaming as well. So, uh, you know, we heard last week Nordstrom is closing all their their Canadian stores and, and shutting business down in, in Canada, and, and people overwhelming were somewhat unsurprised by the move. But it, it kind of got me thinking about okay, what businesses are we surprised are still around given everything that's happening, whether it's just, you know, the day and age that we are in, everything is digital, everything's online, maybe certain stores are a bit antiquated or outdated. For me, I'm very surprised that there are still uh, used movie, DVD, record stores, CD stores that are still around and still doing quite well. Like, there's a chain in like kind of southwestern Ontario, uh, Beacos On, that I love. I have one at the top of my street. I'm happy it's still around, but I'm shocked that they have managed to not only manage the waves of, you know, the the streaming uh, uh, rise to the pandemic and all these different factors. So I wanted to open it up to you guys. Like, Rami, is there a business or, or a store that your surprise is still open today? I'm not necessarily surprised or taken aback by businesses that are open today. I was quite surprised during the pandemic how many uh, businesses had to shut down. That was really sad. And even if I wasn't using or or like familiar with some of the the businesses, there were big names. And I was like, geez, if they can't make it, I wonder how uh, people are going to make it through this. But I think my reality is, Alex, that I only... <laughs> use businesses on like a need to know need to use basis and (laughs) plus plus there are a lot more small businesses right like you can you can get in touch with people directly businesses directly and they could be you know an instagram page and that's pretty much it from door to door and so i'm not paying much attention to the business the big businesses that are shutting down so, I, so Alex, I was really racking my brain when you posed this question this morning, yeah. and I'm really struggling, although I do like what you identified there in regards to like a used record store, a used movie store, but what I would argue is those become cultural touchstones, right? That it's cool to go to one of those places and be seen at one of those places. I think about when I was 15, 16, 17 years old in Montreal, starting to make a little bit of disposable income as a dog sitter and working at a video store. I used to just post up at the secondhand record stores mm-hmm. on Mohair. Street because I was like, look at me. I'm cool. I have credibility. I'm flipping through CDs, even though I can't read the text on the front of the CD. But look at me. I'm a hip guy. So I wonder how much of it is about cultural connections, that something becomes an institution because people want to be there. They feel like there's 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 a, an expression of their identity tied to that kind of store or that kind of brand. Yeah, you know, there's there certainly could be some truth to that. And I I think, though, it almost goes a bit deeper. And, and as uh, Ramya kind of teased uh, what the conversation that Kelly and Ramya are going to be having with Greg David about, like, how what's the state of streaming that people want to still connect with media? And I think the one of the flaws of streaming services is that if any of the major ones that even if you have all of them, if some of them don't have the certain movie or TV show that you want to watch, there's basically no other ways to, to access it. So, you know, having an outlet, having a place where it's like, oh, yeah, well, you can physically go buy the the movie, the show, whatever, and then you're always just having and you can always play it. I think there's, there's always that value in having a physical medium. But to me, it's more surprising that, you know, 
online shops and, and, and retailers haven't really overtaken that market, especially when, you know, they can weather some of those uh, storms that we saw during the pandemic in terms of uh, the struggles on businesses. But uh, yeah, even, I'm, I'm even, glad they're still around. I want to make sure I say that. I'm glad they're still around because yeah, I love them. Even things like eBay or Amazon, you can buy mm -hmm. used video games, you can buy yeah. used CDs, you can buy used DVDs on those spaces quite easily. Even things like Facebook Marketplace. Oh my God, Facebook yeah. Marketplace. <laughs> what an incredible spot to go uh, buy things. Not so much sell things. People haggle with you in weird ways ways. I remember once I was selling a fridge, like a, like a beer fridge, and this yeah. guy writes me, I, I listed it for like 150 bucks, and he writes me, he's like, I'll give you $20 cash right now, and I'm like, what else did you think I was going to accept for this? And like, that's $130 less than I'm asking for. <laughs> Guys, two minutes on the clock. Yeah. I want to go into a different kind of surviving businesses, surviving store kind of conversation, because we're all characters in our own right. We have the things that interest us. Ramya, what's a store that you find yourself walking through that you never thought you would enjoy so much. And I'll give you mine first. I find that every time I go to a Lowe's or a Home Depot, even though I will eventually break down crying in front of the tiles because it's too confusing and overwhelming, I find for whatever reason, I love going for a strut around Home Depot. Ramya, what about you? I have never thought about it that way. Uh, you know, I'm going to be so basic and just tell you it's going to be a grocery store. That's cool. I have a. I love. I, ro I love Foods. long romantic walks to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Home Depot apparently, but you know, <laughs> I like Whole Foods. I don't buy much from there because the price tags actually boggle my mind. But it is kind of cool because it feels different than all all of the other grocery stores I use on a regular basis. Mm. I don't know because it's American. I'm not sure what it is, but it feels very bougie. Well, it's and, like it's, uh, it's it's like that Mucuins across the street from the office. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Personally, it's the same vibe. I personally don't go in there because I can tell they would like be like, "No, sir, your shoes aren't welcome in here. You're dressed uh, too non-bougie yeah. to be allowed." But in if here. you need cheesecloths, you know that's Woo! where you'll find them. Heck yeah, Alex. Thirty seconds on the clock. What's a oh. store that it surprises you how much you enjoy walking around? I, I think it would have to be a place like HomeSense, where it's 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 designed. Oh, there's yeah. never quite known yeah. what's going to be there, and the there's a lot of affordable things. So it's not like you're breaking the bank every single thing. And HomeSense is a place where you have to go in and you have to look for things specifically to see what they have because it changes all the time. So I think that's the type mm -hmm. of place that really kind of excites me. This is a yes or no question. Do you guys like walking around clothing stores and touching the clothes and touching the materials, Alex? Uh, no. Ramya? No, like I would have to when I clo go clothes shopping, but no, I don't enjoy it. Oh, I'm a big yes. I love just, I just love just yeah. touching things as I'm walking through it. Well, I don't know if Sears isn't open anymore, but like, give me your Sears equivalents. Guys, we got to get out of here before I uh, get too weird. So Alex, thank you. Ramya, thank you. That's all the time we have for the show today. Until tomorrow, I'm Dave Brown reminding you, play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.